So after a triple header of racing, Formula One taking the weekend off. They'll return on July 18th for the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Coming up on this edition of the Overtake F1 podcast, we will do our news and notes segment, our Fast Lap podcast, running down the current standings, and we'll also do a top five, bottom five from the Austrian Grand Prix. Hey, but first, big announcement. We've launched our Facebook page, the Overtake F1 podcast. Please find us, follow us there. We will post new episodes. We'll link you to the latest news, provide some commentary to that news. Also, get your thoughts on races, drivers, anything that's going on in the sport. So, again, check us out on Facebook at the Overtake F1 Podcast. Plus, subscribe to the podcast. It helps us grow and leave us a five-star review if you like what we're doing. All right, let's get started. With Max Verstappen winning all three races of the triple header and Red Bull keeping Mercedes off the top podium for the last five, the title fight is starting to get a little bit away from the Silver Arrows. And yet, as they said, they're one DNF by Verstappen from being right back in the thick of things. I've been very critical of this team's pessimistic view of the current title bout. They always seem to be throwing their hands up in the air and saying that fighting Red Bull is just too difficult and they don't know where they're going to get pace and how are they going to do it? Upgrades, no upgrades. There's some defeatism here. I, I don't really like it. But as for updates, there was a little bit of a confusion as they said that there was none coming and then James Allison said there was and now we know that the W12 is going to get some for Silverstone. That should help close some of the gap between them and Red Bull. However, this is good for the sport right now. Mercedes has won every title since the hybrid era began in 2014. So this has been enjoyable to see somebody take it to them and come out on top. But the sport isn't served when one domination is then just simply replaced by another. We have so much more racing left in the season. This is only round 10 of 23. So I, for one, would like to see Mercedes fight back. Look, even if you're rooting hard against them, don't you want the season to sort of matter? Don't you want the racing that's coming up in the second half of the season to have a little bit of a purpose, not just a, some coronation run for Red Bull Racing? If they can fight back, this is going to make the season really exciting, and it's something we've missed for a while. Mercedes, though, it, they're playing the long game here. They're putting more resources into the 2022 car. Total Wolf thinks that any work on next year's car far outweighs any benefit that they can get here in 2021. But that doesn't mean the season's over by any means. They have a few circuits like Silverstone, Spa, Sochi. They'll be really good at those racetracks. Red Bull has their tracks too, but this season is far from over. Now, one of the key is the current Constructors' Championship. Now, maybe Max is just going to be too strong for them in the long run for Hamilton to catch. We've certainly seen that in the past five races. And even when Max had a DNF at Baku, he was so strong in that race until his tire blew. But if Valtteri Bottas can start finishing on the podium and holding off Sergio Perez like he's done in the last two races, they might be able to catch Red Bull in the constructors. That would be big because this has been such an on and off season for Botas. It's been filled with so many incidents and gossip. Remember, he tangled with George Russell at Imola, had the pit stop problem at Monaco. There was no pace when they went to Azerbaijan. And then he also had that outrage in France that it should have been a two-stopper, and he told everybody so. Plus, he's also been dealing with all the stories that have been coming out that he's going to be replaced next season and sort of that sort of gossip that's been permeating the sport. For him personally, and also for Mercedes as a team, they need him to start fighting for podiums. And the last two races are showing that he can. 
You saw Mercedes starting to think more about the team than the driver title in Austria when Hamilton suffered damage and that was costing him about a half a second a lap. So rather than let Botas defend off Lando Norris in third, they let Botas pass Hamilton to race for second. And then Hamilton had to hold off Lando, which he could not. But that meant that Mercedes was thinking, hey, we're better off if Valtteri Botas gets podium here rather than the possibility of Norris passing Botas and then a weaker Hamilton and he get P2. So they were thinking constructors in that race rather than trying to protect Hamilton in P2 so he could at least leave Austria with a limited damage in the championship race to Verstappen. Was it a little bit of an odd move? Yeah, the driver's championship is kind of where the bread and butter at. I know the money comes from the constructors, but when you're talking sport and fans, I think everyone sort of identifies with a champion, a driving champion, rather than the team. The team is extremely important. Again, that's where the funding comes from. But if you're talking to an average fan, most don't remember who came in, what position in the constructors outside of Mercedes over the past couple of years, but they can tell you if there was a good driver fight. The Australian Grand Prix has been canceled for this season and we will not have a race at Melbourne for the second straight year. It was scheduled for November 21st at Albert Park. It was going to be the race that was going to start the season. It got pushed into the fall. Bahrain instead was the season opener. It was going to be the 21st of 23 rounds. This is the second straight year that the race has been dealt a blow due to the pandemic. It joins Canada and Singapore as races that have been removed from the calendar due to restrictions. So how will Formula One replace Australia on the schedule a double race at austin is a possibility that was on the table when singapore was canceled however they decided to go to turkey instead they're going to run at istanbul park and i love that decision because i'm a big fan of istanbul park would a second trip to bahrain be in the cards possibly uh stefano domenicali the ceo of formula one he wants to have 23 races this year so it it's going to be replaced somehow I wouldn't mind another run at Texas. That's just me. Um, A double race in Brazil has also been proposed. Logistically, however, think about this. You need to see how teams can move around the globe during those months. Formula One is in Brazil for the Grand Prix on November 7th. Austria was scheduled two weeks later. Then Saudi Arabia would come on the schedule in early December. Can you get teams to Europe for a race in that time? Yes, but wouldn't it be easier if it just stays in that sort of part of the world? However, if you're going to go back to Europe, if that's what you want to do, Formula One, May I recommend Mugello for a second year? I love the Tuscan Grand Prix last year. Florence is a beautiful city. So let me raise my hand for that. If you are interested in going to Europe to replace the Australian Grand Prix, go to Mugello. Now, I've spoken about this in the past, and I think if Formula One is serious about growing the sport in the United States, a double run at Austin would be the key. Naturally, it would be better if they could go to another place in the United States like Indianapolis, but that's not likely to happen. I don't see them running off to Indianapolis to fill in a gap on the schedule at this stage of the game. I kind of had hopes for it when Singapore was canceled. I thought that was enough time to sort of figure out if an Indy run would work out for Formula One. I don't think so now. So if you're going to be in the United States, Austin is the only real place you could do it. And the Circuit of the Americas would be housing two races. That's a possibility. I just don't know if that's where they're going to go. When you have an opportunity like this, there's a chance to go revisit some tracks that you know you can have a race that are certified enough to have a Formula One race and sort of bring it back on the schedule like they did it with Turkey. Mugello hosted a race last year. It was great. Portimao hosted a race last year and then got to be on the calendar this year. Same with Imola. There's an opportunity to bring a new circuit or bring back an old circuit to the calendar, and I think that's fantastic. 
I know these are trying circumstances, so you get what you get. If you have to run twice in Austria, you run twice in Austria. If you have to run twice in Austin or Brazil, you run twice in those locations. Uh, the COVID pandemic, it, this isn't Formula One trying out new places or putting things on the calendar just to see if it would work. They're trying to replace a Grand Prix, a scheduled Grand Prix, and sometimes it's just much easier for the teams and for the sport if they stay in one location. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I get it. I understand that when you're trying to put a 23 race calendar together and one drops out, putting another one on the schedule isn't very easy. And sometimes it's just easier to double up at a location. I do feel bad for the fans in Australia, though. They've been sort of moved around a bit on this. I mean, remember at the start of the 2020 season, everyone was in Melbourne getting ready for the race. And then that weekend it got canceled and the global pandemic was upon us. And so they were like, OK, I don't think we're going to be racing in 2020 here in Australia. But you know what? At the start of 2021, we'll kick off the season again at Albert Park. And then they didn't. But they said, don't you worry. We'll move it to the fall. We'll put it in the back end of the calendar. But you'll be racing there. And now they won't be. So this is the second year in a row that, that the fans of in Australia will be denied a Grand Prix. Pierre Gasly could be on the move next season. The French driver confirmed that he has interest from other teams and will talk to Helmut Marco at Red Bull about his future. Gasly has a win in a P3 since he was demoted by, to AlphaTauri in 2019. He has scored points in every race that he has finished since last year's race at Abu Dhabi. He's currently ninth in the driver's standings. There are three options for Gasly. One, he's promoted back to Red Bull alongside Verstappen. Unlikely to happen as Sergio Perez is starting to deliver on the primary team. Gasly's demotion, though really emphasized in the docuseries Drive to Survive, the way that was portrayed, I almost kind of felt bad for him. But he got good redemption at AlphaTauri. He had a win at Monza last season. He has a podium this year at Baku. The second thing that could happen to Gasly is they could stay with AlphaTauri. He's, he's the reason they're fifth in the Constructors' Championship right now. And also, he's been pretty good for rookie Yuki Sonoda, a good veteran uh, hand on Sonoda's career. However, think about this. This team is meant for future promotion to the main team. And if Marco doesn't see a place for Gasly, who's already had a shot at the second seat, then how long do you keep him there? That's a really interesting question for them to sort out. Are they using him as sort of a veteran presence on that team to help future Red Bull drivers? And if that's the case, how long do you do that to him? The third option for Gasly is that the team could just release him and make him a free agent. If there are other Red Bull drivers ready for a promotion of Formula One, this would be an option. It would free up a seat. Gasly's experience and consistency, however, cannot be overlooked in their decision on this future because he's been really good for the team. If he is available as a free agent in 2022, however, where would he go? Alpine is locked in Esteban Ocon for the next three years, and Fernando Alonso isn't going anywhere. McLaren doesn't have a seat available. Neither does Ferrari. Williams could have one if George Russell leaves for Mercedes and they decide to part with Nicholas Latifi. If that promotion for Russell happens, wouldn't Valtteri Bottas be better there? The team is under new ownership. They seem to be on an uptick, but the Latifi seat could be filled. Alfa Romeo, if there are any openings, Ferrari would certainly like to put one of their young drivers there, Callum Eilat possibly. So I don't know where Gasly could go if he's on the market. And again, he's saying that there are people that are interested in his services. All right, let's take a look at the driver's standings. Max Verstappen leading the championship with 182 points and Lewis Hamilton 32 behind him with 150. Sergio Perez is third with 104. That's three points ahead of Mr. Consistency Lando Norris. He's fourth with 101. I might as well say it in this podcast since I'm going to pretty much say it every podcast until it breaks, but Lando Norris has got points in every race so far this season. Fifth is Valtteri Bottas. He has 92. Sixth is Charles Leclerc. 30 points behind. He has 62. Seventh 
seventh in the driver's standings is Carlos Sainz. He has 60 points, 20 in front of Daniel Ricciardo, who sits in eighth with 60. Pierre Gasly, ninth. Sebastian Vettel rounding out the top 10. Constructors' standings, Red Bull, 286. Mercedes, 242. McLaren, currently a 19-point lead over Ferrari for third, 141-122. AlphaTauri, fifth with 48. They're four points ahead of Aston Martin. All right, now let's have some fun. Top five, bottom five from the Austrian Grand Prix. Just to kind of give you a reminder how I do this, Not, I don't just take the finishing order and go bottom five, top five. I look for trends in the race, who had a good weekend, who had an unexpectedly good weekend, and who disappointed us. So here is the top five from the Austrian Grand Prix from the Red Bull Ring. Number five, Fernando Alonso. He got screwed in Q2. The Q was backed up. He was on a qualifying run that had to be curtailed on the final corner. It cost him a shot in the top 10 and he was running qualifying really well. Afterwards, he admitted, man, it's going to be really hard to get points now. Uh, But he did. He passed George Russell. He finished in the top 10. And here's the most important thing for Alpine with Esteban Ocon struggling. He has been in the top 10 in the last four races. So he makes the top five after Austria. Number four, George Russell. All right, I had to do it. He's in the top five. He has to be there, right? He got into Q3 on Saturday for the first time in a Williams. And he was holding the car in the top 10 until it was too much to hold off Fernando Alonso, who was right behind him. He ultimately was was passed. He finished 11th. But this was his best run for the team. And he also drew praises from Alonso. Russell's been teasing us with the kind of performance like this for a while. And he almost pulled it off. He almost got that team in some points. Uh, He just wasn't quite there, but it was still a valiant effort for George. Number three, Valtteri Bottas. This has been a season of some serious ups and downs for the Finn, but the past two races in Austria, they were on the upside. He had podium finishes at the Styrian Grand Prix and then at the Austrian Grand Prix. He had podium finishes in both races. He had a P2 on Sunday after starting P5, and it was an extremely important finish for Mercedes. I mean, they needed him to finish P2. Hamilton had suffered some damage, so they needed him to get up there and hold on to that position if they're going to make a run at the Constructors' Championship, and he did just that. He did his job. They didn't have the pace for Verstappen, so where do you finish? You finish second, and that's exactly what Valtteri Bottas did. But it's been a crazy year. documented it earlier in the podcast. So for the last two races, there's been some successful stability for Valtteri Bottas. Number two, Lando Norris. A five-second penalty withstanding, this was a good race for Lando. I know he was disappointed that he didn't get the second position, but he started P2 in the race. He hung in there until he had to pit. He had to serve those five seconds. Now, when you think about this, his run-in with Sergio Perez that drew that penalty, that's been hotly debated over this past week. Even Christian Horner thought he didn't deserve that penalty from the stewards. He finished third. Maybe, maybe he would have gotten the Botas if those five seconds weren't added to his day. But it's been a remarkable season for this young driver. Absolutely remarkable. And number one, of course, Max Verstappen, obviously. It was a Grand Slam weekend. He got pole position. He led the most laps. He got the race win. He got the fastest lap. It was a perfect weekend for Verstappen. And with the Orange Army in attendance, it was even better. Just to see that crowd and the noise that they made, man, it was great. Because we have had a lot of races where no one was in attendance or a very sparse crowd. It was good to see the explosiveness of the fan base for Max Verstappen make their presence felt. And and he rewarded them with an unbelievable performance. You couldn't ask for anything better. There was really no fault in anything that he did at all over the weekend. 
All right, speaking of faults, now it's time to get to the bottom five from the Austrian Grand Prix. And number one, and he's a guy that's been in the bottom five the last couple of races, Esteban Ocon. This was a DNF after his car was tagged by Antonio Giovinazzi on the first lap. In this circumstance, he had Mick Schumacher to his left, Giovinazzi to his right, but Ocon didn't back off in the squeeze, and he suffered damage. It's not entirely his fault, but he's not exactly blameless for this either. You need to fight another lap, and I think he was trying to race his way out of that pickle, and then it backfired. So a DNF for him. He's had a lousy three races in this triple header. Use the break wisely, young man, before Silverstone. Number two, Sergio Perez. Yes, he finished sixth. He suffered two five-second penalties, and his overtake attempt to the outside of Norris drew out both support for that move and then also criticism. My question, though, after it happened was, was that worth the risk at the time? There's no runoff area at the Red Bull ring. It's gravel. So it's not like Paul Ricard where you can kind of get back onto the track quickly. You're going to run into some gravel, and that's going to really cost your race. You could suffer damage to your car, and you're going to drop a lot of places. Yes, if you see a gap, you take it. That's Ayrton Senna's famous quote, right? But was it worth it at the time? Could you have waited to make the overtake at some other place? If you felt like you had a run on Norris at a variety of different points on the track, was going to the outside in turn four where gravel awaits if he is going to drift in that regard, was it worth it? I just don't think it was the smartest racing move that he could have made at that particular time. He started P3. He ended up P6. He got the two penalties. Overall, an extremely rough day for Sergio Perez. Number three, Yuki Sonoda. He started the race in the top 10, but like his teammate Pierre Gasly, both had to start on the soft tires. So he was easily in a two-stop strategy. The problem was is that he struggled with those pit stops. He suffered two penalties for not being completely inside the white line on the entrance coming out of turn nine. Now, the first time he did it, okay, he got the penalty. Then the team warned him on the second attempt, and he did it again. And he finished P12. And not only did he finish P12, he was time-wise way out of the top 10. So Yuki Tsunoda is number three on the bottom five. Number four, Lewis Hamilton. Now, this is more circumstance than driver. He suffered damage after running over the sausage curbs. That cost him some time. He clearly could not run in the front. He conceded second place to Valtteri Bottas, and then he could not hold off Lando Norris, and he finished outside the podium. Mercedes didn't have a good Saturday either. That was a P4 start for Hamilton. Look, there are circumstances with your car. There are circumstances with the driver. Both go hand in hand. Hamilton has not been on top of that podium since the Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona. This is five races now that he has not won. And it's going to make the championship a lot more difficult if he doesn't find a way to get to the checkered flag in first. Number five, Sebastian Vettel. He was in the way of Fernando Alonso on Saturday during qualifying when Alonso was coming around for that qualifying lap and he was on the back end of the queue. He got a three-grid penalty for that. He was running P12 when he was hit by Kimi Raikkonen on the final lap of the race. He ended up with a DNF. That was not his fault, by the way. But you know what? I don't care. It was a bad weekend overall. With the Alonso situation, the fact he was running P12, P12 after getting into Q3 on Saturday. I don't care if somebody hits you or not, and it's not your fault. It was a bad weekend for Seb. And he's had a lot of good weekends, so I've given him credit where credit is due. It's just not this one. All right, we got the British Grand Prix coming up on July 18th. It's one of my favorite races of the year. I love Silverstone, all the newly named Hamilton Strait, and great corners like Stowe, Vale, Cops, Abbey. I love Silverstone. Love it. I love that racetrack.
It's also the start of sprint racing for qualifying. Now, I'm not a huge fan of this, but I also don't have anything to go by for that opinion. So I don't be surprised if I start singing its praises after it's been implemented for this weekend. I might actually like it. I just don't think that the current system is broken enough to sort of warrant this, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old. So we'll see. Our next episode of the Overtake F1 podcast, we will preview the British Grand Prix, and then, of course, we'll follow it with a review after the race. Again, look for us on Facebook at the Overtake F1 podcast. We'd love to hear from you there. You can like the page and uh, kind of interact with us, discussing racing, drivers, news of the day, etc. If you'd like to reach the show, you can email us at the Overtake F1 podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Tony D Radio. I'd love to hear from you as well. That's going to do it for our Fast Lap News and Notes. I'm Tony Desiria. This has been the Overtake F1 Podcast.